Well, hey, everybody, it's good to be with you today, and thank you for being a part of Grace Church. And thanks also to those of you who continue to host watch parties in your homes and, and even in your garages. There's always something special that happens when this particular body of Christ gathers together, even when that means we're doing it in all these different ways. Do you remember the summer of 2000? Anyone? I do, and it's for this reason. The job I had at the time uh, required me to travel all over the place. And in the airline industry, the summer of 2000 is still to this day referred to as the summer from hell. Because the United Airlines pilots had slowed down to try to get some contract renegotiations, and that slowdown meant that everything was in peril in the travel industry. It was a complete nightmare. Flights were delayed. Oftentimes, they were completely canceled. And so I had to deal with this a lot. But one particular time, I was on my way back home, and I had to stop in Denver. And I got into Denver and sat on the plane for like four hours, just waiting to get to the gate. And of course, it turns out that the plane we were waiting for to get out of our way was the plane I needed to be on. So I knew going into the airport that I was going to be stuck there. And as soon as you're stuck in the airport, I start, now this is 2000, so this, we didn't have a lot of technology, but I started making phone calls. I started calling hotels, no hotel rooms. I started calling uh, rental car companies, no rental cars. And so I, along with uh, thousands of others of my new closest friends, slept on the floor in the airport. And the next morning when I woke up, after just a wonderful night's sleep, the next morning I woke up and I got in the mile-plus-long customer service line. And it took hours just shuffling my feet one little step at a time. I wondered, am I ever really going to get to the front of this line? And then I could see it, the counter. It, it looked like an oasis to me in a desert. I was almost there. And right at that moment, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes this guy. He's yakking on his phone, and he just sort of walks and bypasses the entire line and goes right up to the counter and starts making demands. Now, now you know this guy because this guy is at every airport, and he's on every flight. He's, he's a really big deal. He's really important, and he's always making demands. And so he comes right up to the counter, and this poor woman is there, and he starts saying, you got to rebook me on a flight, and this is ridiculous, and you're the most you Just absolutely berating this woman. And then he finally said it. Do you know who I am? He screamed. And the world honestly just kind of stopped for a moment as he and the agent locked eyes. Without missing a bead or or even breaking eye contact. This, this woman just picked up the microphone and said, ladies and gentlemen in the gate area, we have a man up here who does not know who he is. If anyone knows who he is, please let him know. The whole line erupted with applause and laughter, which of course made this guy even more angry. He was just screaming and yelling and losing it. 20 years later, I don't know about you, but I think we can make the case that we're having another summer from hell, aren't we? Wow, things are a mess. We've got complex problems that are just piling up in every direction faster and faster. 
And there are really, when you think about it, there are not very many signs that things are really getting any better. Have you experienced frustration and exhaustion and, and maybe even desperation throughout these last several months? This, this COVID thing is, is really changing everything. And so just think about it. Look at the way that people are treating each other, the anger, the hostility, and the just almost automatically aggressive nature of how we approach one another. It's instantaneous outrage over absolutely everything. Every single day, you know it and I know it, there is another story of someone throwing an absolute temper tantrum over whether or not to wear a mask. Has it really come to this? Really? Think about that for a minute. Has it really come to this? We're tearing each other apart. And for what? So we can say a lot of things about everything that's going on in our world right now, but, but two words that I don't think anyone can use seriously to describe things are gentleness and self-control. Gentleness and self-control. And I know that right now things are contentious. I don't know if this is true for you or not, but for me, some of the most disturbingly harsh and out-of-control interactions that I've seen and experienced are with people who call themselves Christians. I'm sure I'm guilty of it as well. And as the body of Christ, this should concern us greatly. And so are there areas in your life where you feel like things are maybe out of control or, or maybe you're angry and frustrated or even mean-spirited about something? Maybe it's, it's your finances or, or maybe it's a health issue or maybe it's work or maybe it's relationships or, or politics or maybe it's even masks. But the point is that all of us are struggling with things like this because at one point or another in our lives, we are confronted with circumstances that we don't like and we want to change. Change is a consistent part of life. It's a consistent part of life. The only thing that stays the same is more change. It feels like that sometimes. It just is. But how do we respond when things are difficult? or when things are frustrating? Do, do we kind of fall into temptation and do we just sort of melt down into patterns of damage and, and destruction? Or are we gentle in heart and self-controlled in our actions? Maybe another way to ask that was, would be, do people see and experience the worst of us in our interactions with others? Or, or do they see the character of Jesus being expressed through us for the benefit and the good of others. This is a battle that we fight every single day, maybe even several times a day. And so my question for us is, when we are pushed to our limits, what kind of fruit do we bear? When we're pushed to our limits, what kind of fruit do we bear? Do people experience love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control when they interact with us? 
Or is it entirely something else? Well, let me pray for us as we explore more about what Paul means by how the character of Jesus is expressed through us in the form of gentleness and self-control. Lord, we thank you for gathering us together. We thank you that uh, even though it feels like we're scattered in many ways, that you are still able to unite us into your body. You're not bound by physical locations. Lord, you have called the church together and our outstretched arms now in all these different places is an amazing opportunity for us to continue to bring your word to more and more people. We thank you for that, even in the midst of our frustration. And so, Lord, today, as you bring your word, would you illuminate our hearts and would we be able to better understand more about who you are so that we can know you better? And would you fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can follow you better? And would you lead us into bearing the fruit that you've called us to bear for your glory? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last seven weeks now, we've been exploring the fruit of the Spirit that Paul outlines in Galatians chapter 5. And you'll remember that each week, we've been able to kind of see how it's God's work in us and through us that is leading us to fruit bearing. We've said over and over again that when we know the Word of God and we are filled with the Spirit of God, then we bear the fruit of God. And this fruit of God, or the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul calls it, is the character of Jesus expressed through us in these different ways. And they all these different ways reflect who He is. And so, in other words, it's not our efforts, it's not our, our act of willpower or something like that that helps us strive to become these things. But when the Holy Spirit lives in us and guides us, then we are these things. And right away, just even saying that, I, I hope you can sense that there is an internal conflict taking place inside of all who are followers of Jesus. Because of this, it's more than just a little skirmish, however. It's a battle for our very souls. So this idea of what kind of fruit are we bearing is a battle that's being fought over our eternity. And so thank God we don't fight that battle by ourselves, but that the power of God's Holy Spirit enables us to be more than conquerors whenever we seek Him and whenever we trust Him. And so today, as we conclude our Free to Be series, I want us to just consider what exactly a relationship with Jesus frees us to do and to be. What are we actually free to do and who are we free to be? While we've been looking over the last several weeks at these different characteristics of God that Paul talks about, today I want us to just look back a little bit further in chapter 5 in Paul's letter to the Galatians as we bring all this kind of to a, to a point, to an end, in understanding what Paul means by gentleness and self-control. These are two words that are very difficult, very elusive, especially in today's culture. But take a look at this. In, in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes this, Christ 
has set us free for freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit to the bondage of slavery again. Now, just a quick note here. I'm using for today, I normally use either the NIV or the ESV uh, Bible translation. But uh, in this particular case, uh, the, the CEB, the Common English Bible, which is not something that we use normally, just really outlines what we're going to go over today better in words that are more easy for us to understand in today's culture. And so just a heads up on that. You can follow along. The words will be on the screen. But the issue that Paul was addressing with the church in this letter that he wrote uh, to, to the Galatians was that after these folks had heard, now these are Gentiles primarily, and after they had heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then later on after that, another group of Jewish Christians who are often referred to as Judaizers, came along and started saying, okay, well, this is great. It's wonderful that you know Jesus, and that's wonderful. But now you need to get on board and get to work following all of these rules and these customs. Now, remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about kindness and goodness, and we said that we still today, right here and right now, have this very same temptation that plagues us often when we think that, well, we must somehow need to either gain or maintain God's favor by keeping all of his commands perfectly. We have this image in our mind of a God who is sort of just keeping score. And at the same time, we know it's not possible for us to live that kind of a perfect life. The only one who did was Jesus himself. And we are not Jesus. Far from it. But it is the Spirit of Jesus that lives in and through us that causes us to bear good fruit in the form of expressing His character, not through our strength or our willpower, but because of God's characteristics of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. They are expressed through all who are in relationship with him. From our relationship with Jesus, it flows out of us. That is why Paul is saying that Jesus has freed us from the bondage of ever again falling into this trap of thinking or believing that we have to earn God's favor or keep it or maintain it. Because God's favor is already lavished upon us because of Jesus and because of who he is and because of then who we are in him. But none of that means that there still isn't a battle going on inside us. We are constantly tempted to fall into one ditch or another when we don't understand this. And so on the one hand, we can fall into this ditch of legalism, believing that, well, it's all about keeping the rules and that's what's going to make or break our relationship with God. Am I good enough to earn God's approval? That's one ditch. But on the other hand, we can fall into this ditch of what I guess I would call license, which is this idea that, uh, well, since we are free, Paul says we are free, that freedom in Christ means we can just do anything that we want whenever we want, regardless of any consequence to ourselves or others. But neither of these is what Paul is actually talking about when it comes to the freedom and fruit 
of the Spirit. Take a look at verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. All the law has been fulfilled in a single statement, love your neighbor as yourself. And therefore, the freedom that God has given us through our relationship with Jesus has an automatic outward-facing focus, which is constantly on the lookout trying to have benefit to other people instead of being focused on and in ourselves on indulging all the things that we want, indulging the self. But that is completely contrary to the way the world is set up, isn't it? Because our culture today leads us all to believe that whether or not we want to say it out loud, everything revolves around me. Me, 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 me. There's no I in team, but guess what? There is an M-E. Me. Think about that. These selfish desires that pop up in each and every one of us are what lead us, if not sometimes compel us, to be anything but gentle and self-controlled. How long today is our fuse from calm to totally outraged? It's almost like, I don't know if you remember this, several of you are probably not old enough, but for those of you who are, remember that time where, where they had that series of commercials? How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop? A one, a two, outrage! Outrage is quickly becoming the currency in our relationships, isn't it? The question is often, well, who is more outraged? And all of this is horribly destructive. You know it and I know it. As Paul warns in verse 15, but if you bite and devour each other, be careful that you don't get eaten up by each other. In other words, once our selfish desires start us down this road of losing control of ourselves and our behavior, then serious consequences follow, and they follow almost immediately. But this is also right where we can get things all twisted up again, because it sounds like then, well, the answer to this problem is just be nice and have more self-control. Just do it. Be nicer. Have more self-control. But that's exactly the kind of thinking that collapses in quickly on itself, because our willpower eventually does hit its limit, doesn't it? And while each of us might have a different amount of willpower, because that's true, it's true also that each of us, no matter how much willpower we've been given, when we have unchecked selfish desires, they can and will eventually overtake whatever willpower we think we have. And that's why I ask the question. When we're pushed to our limits, what kind of fruit do we bear? Because this is really the question that Paul is asking when he starts talking about two different ways of life. In verse 16, he says, I say, be guided by the Spirit, and you won't carry out your selfish desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the Spirit, and the Spirit is set against one's selfish desires. 
They are opposed to each other, so you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. But if you are being led by the Spirit, you aren't under the law. And so Paul's insight here helps us avoid both of the ditches we just got done talking about. We're not being freed to just go totally crazy and just feel like we can do whatever we want without any kind of consequence. And through our relationship with Jesus, we are also freed from trying to fill up our scorecards and prove that we're somehow doing a great job. Because when we fill out the scorecard, if we do it honestly, we always know that we fall short of God's expectation. But Paul is freeing us from that exact problem. And so he's saying to us that the key to winning the battle is determined by who we trust. Winning the battle is determined by who we trust. When we trust our selfish desires and to all of the things that we want and all of the impulses that we have, when we trust those things, trust ourselves to lead and guide us, then we end up bearing the fruit of entitlement and self-indulgence. Paul says it this way in verse 19, the actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use and casting spells, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. But when we trust the Spirit of Jesus to lead us and guide us, that is when we bear a completely different kind of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. That is when we have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And all of that fruit, all of those characteristics expressed through us bring benefits to other people even when they might have a great personal cost to ourselves. And so a lot of times we might tend to think like, okay, well, what are you really saying here? Because it, it sounds like what you mean is that gentleness means weakness. But gentleness does, doesn't mean weakness. Gentleness actually means meekness, not weakness. And meekness is a lot like humility. Not counting yourself as better or somehow more important than anyone else. Not having to be right all the time and, and, and be the big winner, but instead accepting the reality that other people, I know this is a challenge sometimes, but accepting the reality that many other people have different opinions that might be equally valid. They might actually be right and I might be wrong. An example of this is, you know, before all this COVID stuff was going on, I used to go to this coffee shop in St. Paul, and they have this little sign painted right above one of the doorways that just simply says, maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're wrong. Simple phrase. 
But just think about the wisdom that's contained in that for a moment. What if, what if we started each conversation that we had with someone, especially ones where we know we don't agree with that person? What if we started each conversation we had with other people recognizing that as confident as we might be about our own point of view, we also might be totally wrong? Would, would that change the way that we interact with one another? But from a spiritual perspective, think about how gentle Jesus was with others. It's all over the place in the New Testament, through all these interactions that Jesus is having with people. But perhaps the best example of the heart of Jesus in this whole idea is when they nailed him to a Roman cross and they hung him to die. And there he was, hanging on the cross, dying, a totally innocent man, undeserving of it. And what did Jesus say? What did he say as he was screaming out in his last breath? Did he say, do you know who I am? No. He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. How amazing is it that we have a God that loves you and I so much that he was willing to give himself over to be crucified so that we might be saved. As, as he was crucified, so he crucified all of our sin that he took upon himself. All, all of our imperfections, all of our, our need for the approval of others, all of our, our sicknesses, all of our sadness, all of our struggles, all of our shortcomings, and, and even all of our selfish desires. And he was put to death, so he put everything that separates us from God to death as well. He made a way for us to be restored to the right relationship with God the Father. And so when Paul says in verse 24 that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self with its passions and desires, he means that when we trust in Jesus and when we follow him, then our selfish desires no longer compel and control us. That battle was won by Christ alone so that we are free to live with the fruit of the Spirit as we go out and we let the Spirit live and guide us and bear His fruit. That's what Paul says in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. And the Spirit that is living in us and working through us is how we finally bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, and faithfulness, self-control. But when it comes to self-control, it turns out, this is, this is interesting, because this kind of turns it all on, on its head from our regular understanding. When Paul's talking about self-control, what he's really talking about is giving over control of ourselves to the leadership and the guidance of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who guides us into fruit-bearing for His glory. When we surrender to God's will, we no longer have a sense of entitlement, 
but we are an expression of God's character. We no longer have a sense of entitlement, but we become an expression of God's character. And this, this is what is totally counter to what we often understand as self-control. We tend to think that self-control is just really, well, how long can I keep it together before I become totally unglued? Or, or maybe, well, I should probably only have three Oreos and then that turns into 10 in about the blink of an eye. Or maybe it's spending lots of money and buying stuff that you don't need. Or maybe it's working way too many hours and putting everything in jeopardy with your family. Or, or maybe it's losing it at the airport. Maybe it's, maybe it's sex or drugs, gambling or alcohol. I mean, we could be here all day because the list just goes on and on forever. We have all of these selfish desires and selfish impulses. But the madness, all of this madness, finally and completely ends when we come to know and trust that surrendering to God's will is meekness, not weakness. And that is what leads us to the kind of self-control that loves others and desires what is best for them. And so true self-control, from the way that Paul is explaining it, true self-control is actually giving up control to a God who is in control. We have to give up control to a God who is in control. And thank God He is in control, because knowing the Word of God and being filled with the Spirit is what leads us to bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And so... What kind of fruit are you bearing in your life? And you don't get to answer this question yourself, although I'm sure we all like to. The question is really for those who live with you. What's it like to live with this person? And the people you work with, what's it like to work with this person? What do people say that are closest to you? What do they say that they see as the fruit in your life? There is indeed a battle going on in each one of us who are followers of Jesus. But the good news is that Jesus has already won the war. He's freed us to be who he says we are and who he's calling us to be. Even in the midst of us facing a steady stream of temptations coming from our selfish desires, all angles, Right in the middle of all that, our Lord has given us His Spirit to lead us and to guide us into walking in His ways instead. To live a different way because there is another way. It's His way and He is the way. And it's when we trust Him and when we follow Him and when we surrender to His will in place of our own, that's when we finally recognize that true self-control is giving up control to a God who's in control. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have not left us to fight all of this on our own, but instead you have given us the power of your Holy Spirit. You have come to us, and instead of leaving us orphaned, you have taken us home with you, restored the relationship that was broken by our sin 
Jesus has put it back together so that we can come to you knowing that because of the work that Jesus did, we are forgiven and free to be who you are really, truly calling us to be. So Lord, help us, help us know that when the battle gets difficult, that instead of losing it, we find you, we turn control to you, and we let you lead and guide us because we know you do a much better job than we do for ourselves. We thank you that through this, this time we've spent together that you have constantly been communicating to us all of the different ways that you're working in our hearts and in our lives so that we might become fruit bearers for your glory. Lord, continue to fill us with your spirit that we might walk after you, that we might be so close to you that we don't get distracted by our own self-desires and self-indulgences. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name.